0: Are you sheltering in place? Isolated? Feeling alone? <coughs> well then, you're just like us. Hit <coughs> me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the quarantined hit. It's time for a Socatash shut in. The Soundcast Stimulus Package featuring snippets from comedy. Soundcast. And now, here's your host for this episode, Mark Hershon. Mark Hershon.
1: Thank you, Bill Haywatt, and season's greeting, Suckatashians! I'm your every other weekly co-host, Mark Hershon and I know it's a little early to be making with the Christmas cheer, but this is likely the last time I'll be speaking to you until after Christmas and New Year's, my fellow co-host Tyson Saner and I will be taking a little holiday break after next week, so I figured I'd better make with the Yuletide wishes while I can. Speaking of Mr. Saner, if you missed his most recent installment, that would be Succota Shut in episode 232 featuring clips from comedy soundcasts Sam Pancake presents the Monday afternoon movie, Puppet Tears. Puppetry Shop Talk, and Good For You with Whitney Cummings. It's not uh, too late to enjoy that episode. It's available on our home site at SuckatashShow.com, as well as Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Laughable, and even on YouTube. Normally, I'd haul in a Santa's sack full of seasonal snippets for you on a show this close to Xmas, but I am unwrapping something different for you. If our normal fare is like a Whitman sampler of soundcasts, then this is more like a a Harry and David's delivery. It's fresh chat. So fresh that, until I recorded this episode's conversation with our guest just last week, she and I had never met or even spoken before. Even though we've been working together for the past couple of years. How can that be, you say? Well, Becca James is my guest today. She's a freelance writer who's got a major focus on soundcasts, or podcasts as she still refers to them and I will be too during our interview but just to make her feel comfortable you understand she and I are fellow soundcast reviewers for this week in comedy podcasts there's that word again over on vulture.com she does a lot more written coverage than I, and she writes about comedy and music and a variety of other subjects. She was a writer and an editor at the AV Club a while back, and we are going to cover how she got into it, what she likes about the gig, and we'll talk about why she's never seriously considered starting up her own Soundcast. And we will get to that convo in just a moment. Today's episode of Suckatash Shut-In, the Soundcast Stimulus Package, is brought to you by our long-running sponsors, Henderson Pants and trumppoetry.com. So, before we dive in with Becca James, here's a message from Henderson's for their seasonally appropriate new jingle drawers.
0: Hello, friends, and happy holidays from Henderson's Pants. Just in time for this special time of year, Henderson's is pleased to introduce our Jingle Drawers. These special edition holiday pants are secular in nature, which means you can wear them whether you're gathered around the menorah for Hanukkah, the tree for Christmas, or the Kinora for Kwanzaa. Available in bright, vibrant holiday colors like red, green, blue, and yellow, jingle drawers are not just festive-looking, but they're durable, too, as they are made from 100% reindeer hide, which means you'll be trotting out into the living room and pissing off your relatives in Henderson's jingle pants for Yule tides to come. Jingle drawers also come festooned with eight large pockets in addition to the expected four that come standard on most trousers. So as you visit the homes and holiday parties of family and friends, feel free to fill those pockets up, not just with gifts that they give you, but helpings of food from the table to snack on later when you're alone, sobbing by yourself in the darkness. Don't worry about getting too depressed, though, because it's hard to be glum when you're wearing your Henderson's Jingle Drawers. How could it not be? They're covered in handcrafted jingle barrels, which peel with that joyous holiday sound with every step you take. Not only that, when you do receive those holiday party invitations, whether it's in someone's home or your office Christmas party, you can finally say with confidence, I'll be there with bells on. Originally designed for elves at the North Pole, street corner Santas, and the ghost of Christmas yet to come, Henderson's Jingle Drawers are available wherever Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and the day after Christmas sales happen. That's Henderson's, makers of fine kilts and lederhosen since 1897. And now let's get back to Succotash.
1: I'd like to welcome Becca James to Suckatash Shut-In, one of my fellow reviewers for this week in comedy podcasts on vulture.com and this is a a a landmark moment because this is the first time we've ever laid eyes on each other
2: (laughs) this is true
1: oh welcome to succotash
2: hi thanks for having me
1: it's a pleasure uh i think we've been working on this column together for has it been three or four years at this point maybe longer is that possible
2: you know, it's funny. I thought it was just coming up on two years, but is maybe it, I'm wrong.
1: Is it just two years? Uh, maybe it is. I don't, I've been working on it a long time.
2: Okay.
1: Um, I was hired by Jesse David Fox, oh, who gotcha. is, uh, still is at Vulture, but he was the editor at uh, splitsider.com, which is where this column started. And uh, he hired just out of the blue sent me an email cause I was doing this show that features clips of comedy podcasts and uh, said, Hey, are you any interest in doing some reviews? Have you ever written before? And I said, yeah, yes to both. And uh, yeah, at first, I don't even I don't think they even paid us at first. It was just for <laughs> nothing.
2: Oh boy. Yeah. I definitely <laughs> came on when, when there was payment involved.
1: Mm. So, uh let's let's find out a little bit uh, about you, Becca. You uh where do you live?
2: I live in Astoria, Queens right now.
1: Okay. And um, how is uh, how's COVID treating you?
2: Yeah, I was going to say I haven't left my apartment honestly since yeah, March. I mean, it's pretty locked down here. Wow. So I do just the, you know, essential necessity type of stuff like go to we'll the get store. Groceries. Yeah. yeah. Walk around the block, go to the park maybe.
1: Wow. Okay.
2: Yeah. It's definitely, and... I don't know if you saw the, there's like Ikea boxes behind me because <laughs> it's just been a time to nest a time to build new furniture.
1: Yeah. That's uh it's all happening. That's uh <laughs> so you're improving your nest. Yes as it goes?
2: Um, I had been living in Greenpoint and then like just a few, was it just a few months before? It felt that way before the pandemic had moved. Hmm. And so, yeah, as good a time as any to.
1: Now, do you wish you were back there when this happened or are you happier where you are now?
2: Honestly, happier where I am now.
1: Oh, that's good.
2: Yeah. So I'm glad that worked out. I went from having I live here with my husband, and we went from having one two three roommates to living by ourselves, so
1: oh that's nice, yeah, <laughs> boy, living with roommates during this time is is tough because I work with some folks in my regular day job that um you know they've got three or four roommates and they're in an apartment, and it's just like crazy.
2: there's no way we would have it would have like ruined friendships, I'm sure,
1: yeah. <laughs> So how did you get uh how did you get started doing the podcast reviews in the first place? How did they reach out to you or did you approach uh the the website?
2: I sent Meg an email, Meg Wright who's our editor yes. right now, as you yes. know. Yeah. Uh because I had been working for Podmass, which is the AV Club's podcast review column since like 2013. Okay. And there was a stretch in there for four years where I was the editor of that column. And then I left the AV club to do freelance work. So I kept writing for the column and then just felt like time to branch out a little.
1: How was the AV club uh, to work with? I mean, they're such a major sort of force in the kind of voice of reviews and that sort of thing and have been for, for a while.
2: Uh, That was great. That was like my first journalism job. After college, I'd gotten hired as a copy editor and then worked my way up to editorial coordinator. And I inherited Podmass almost as soon as I got there, honestly. Uh, Kyle Ryan had started it and needed help going through and editing Uh, because the website in terms of the back end was just like a mess in those days. We were still just like compiling stuff in a Word document and giving it to one person to put in the CMS. And Podmas was pretty lengthy, and so it just he needed an extra hand, and then I kind of took over at some point. And when I first got it, it was episodic coverage of the same shows every single week. <laughs> I wish I could remember like the number of shows it was, but you know, it was like uh, like Doug loves movies, <laughs> what, uh, like what, just like classic comedy podcasts, and it would either be in the best, the rest. I guess that was it. It was the best or the rest. So if it was the best, it was a little longer write up. If it was the rest, it was shorter. And then there was usually like a spotlight on any podcast you wanted. So when I officially had it and it was mine to do whatever I wanted with, I switched it up and just did like the 10 best episodes of the week. Um, I thought that made more sense. Podcasts aren't necessarily like, especially comedy podcasts. There's not like a through line all the time. Yeah. So I don't know why we were covering them episodically. And it also just helped because it cut the cost of the column, which then meant we could pay the freelancers more because it was oh, entirely written by freelancers.
1: Yeah. Yeah yeah that would be weird to uh just be (laughs) writing about the same the same uh the same podcast every week that's so
2: odd yeah and everyone and it wasn't like there was a mix with the writers it was just like you had your beat so if you were the person that listened to whatever you made it weird every single week that was that was your thing
1: that's funny i when i started uh um I, the very first episode I did, I, they were all kind of friends of mine. Cause I've been in comedy for a long time. And so I, I, you know, I emailed them and said, Hey, I'm going to do this clip show. And is it okay? And they, everyone said yes. And they said, it, it was like, like why would I even object to you playing clips of my show to publicize it? And so I just said, well, I'm not going to ask anymore. So, and it was going fine for like a year. And then I finally got this, <laughs> this not even a irate email. It was a direct message on Twitter from, uh, from Doug Benson and said, who gave you permission to cup clip my show? Was it one of my producers? And I wrote him back and I said, well, it's just a, you know, a four minute clip of one of your shows he says, well, my stuff is long form and it doesn't work just to hear a clip. It's all out of context. And, uh, I said, Oh, what would you like me to do? He says, well, take my clip off your show. I said, okay. So I went back in and edited that particular episode. And uh, just never clipped him again. And then a couple of years later, I went to the first podcast convention in Los Angeles, the Los Angeles podcast festival. And somebody introduced me to him. I'd never met him in person. They go, oh, you do that Succotash show. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you ever have me on that show? <laughs> so I told him the story. He goes, oh, I didn't realize, man. Yeah, no, you can clip it. It's okay. It's cool. But that's the only time anybody ever complained about it. It was just like,
2: um, but even doing funny because the only person who ever sent me Twitter DMs when I was writing or editing Podmath was Doug Benson, and they oh, were never, it? never friendly messages. Isn't
1: that funny? Wow!
2: Or and irritating. Uh,
1: it was the same thing for for me doing this show because people would. Uh, I made a lot of friends doing this show because I would feature fairly obscure podcasts at the time. I mean, I started doing this in 2011. And, uh, there were just small shows and some of them have, you know, many of them have gone by the wayside, but they would start going, well, Hey, when are you going to play a clip for my show again? And I said, do you realize even at this stage of the game, I'd said, you know, how big podcasting is in terms of the number of shows it says, I don't know that I'll ever get back around to clipping your show. Cause you know, the point of my show is to like, let people know what's out there.
2: Right. And I do with Podmas too. the like reinvention of it was there's so many podcasts. Why would we just cover the same whatever, like 10 every week?
1: Yeah, no, it's crazy. Um, So when you were going to journalism uh, or taking journalism, where where were you going to school?
2: I went to school at uh, Columbia College, Chicago. Okay, so that's kind of the A.V. Club connection there, both based in Chicago
1: and was. At the time, was reviewing podcasts something that you were sort of aiming at as a journalistic ideal?
2: Oh my gosh, not at all! It's so funny to think about. Even when I started working on Podmass, I wasn't. I was listening to uh, Kevin Smith and Scott Mosher's Smodcast, and then like Sound Opinions, which is more <laughs> like a it's a public radio show that's like whatever branched into. Podcasting, I guess, because of the format, but that was really it.
1: Wow. Okay. And so, so no. how did how did you find <laughs> this opportunity?
2: Oh, uh, just being at the AV Club. They needed someone to do it, and I oh, guess okay. yeah, that was really it. They had asked. I was editing it, and it just made sense. I don't, I don't know. it would feel like really weird to edit that column and have no knowledge of any of the shows. So I just dove in.
1: <laughs> okay. And uh, let me ask you this: During the pandemic, by the way, because I've I've got sort of apocryphal information about uh, about how podcasts are doing, because they just keep piling them in. We just keep getting more and more every week. But ha- uh, other than having to listen to them to review, are you listening to podcasts more now or less now? Before the pandemic set in,
2: probably less. It just recently amped up again, but I would say I was a big like commuter listener. And so when that went away, it's not as, I guess, normal for me to just like throw them on at home in the same way.
1: (laughs) It's not like the old picture of the people in the 30s sitting around the radio with the family.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I haven't done that as much. So maybe a little less.
1: Yeah cuz back in April there was a there was a figure I saw and I can't remember where I'd seen this but it was something like a drop in like 8% at the time in podcast listenership and I haven't seen anything since I'd just be curious to see because there are you know the commuters the people exercising in gyms Um, all of that, even sitting in an office where you're trying to drown out office workers around you listening to it, right? So you are at home, you're with family members or what have you. And so the idea of putting in earbuds seems a little weird, right? I mean, as much as you would do it in the office.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree. I think, I mean, when I used to sit in an office back in the day, I had headphones on for the entire eight hours if there wasn't like a meeting, (laughs) whereas I do not do that at home.
1: Yeah, so the idea that... um listenership is ramping up. Well, it it seems odd to me. And like I said, at the same time, we're seeing just this massive influx of new podcasts. It seems like every week somebody new has stuff coming out and there's new networks popping up and networks are being absorbed by bigger networks.
2: Yeah. For a lot of money too. Yeah.
1: It's crazy.
2: (laughs) Um, I think with me, it was just a cycle. I fell off and then it's like you miss it and you realize you're not going to be on the train again anytime soon. so I have put some podcasts on at home more often Um, that, and I watched the crown for the first time. Are you a crown fan?
1: Yep. Yep. Watch the crown. Just uh, finished the last, most recent season.
2: So I I didn't watch season one, two or three, (laughs) just (laughs) dived right in on season four. I was largely unfamiliar with like anything going on. Um, It wrecked me. I wasn't, it's such a sad, everything is so sad. But then Uh, speaking of podcasts, the you're wrong about has like four really good princess mm. Diana episodes. So I had those on.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. It's an interesting, uh, I think that's an interesting thing people have found is there's interesting sort of companion shows uh, to uh, a bit of a fan of uh, office ladies Oh, yeah, uh, you know, from, uh, from the office. And they do a great job of sort of, you know, going through each episode and having guests on who are in the shows or writers on the shows or the director from the show. Um, And now it's become very common. Of course, there's all sorts of TV shows that now have <laughs> these companion pieces and it's all because of the pandemic, people are going back and they're going, Oh, I can watch the office now. I've never sat down and watched all of them. Oh, yeah. uh, or they were too young when it was out. Uh, scrubs is doing the same thing. You know, they've, they've got this companion piece, which is just really interesting. Uh, so that's a whole nother flavor of podcast. That's actually sprung up since before I, or since I started doing mine, they never existed. There was no companion piece. I think the first one that I remember with any real regularity was, um, it was the X-Files files.
2: Oh Yeah. I was going to uh, say that, and I don't know how early Gilmore Guys came out, but Gilmore mm, Guys is a big one for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was that was one that was an early one as well, um, but that's interesting. Uh, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Chicago or New York?
2: I grew up in northwestern Wisconsin. Oh, I no kidding, okay. if you can hear my accent or not, but in a small town called Lake Nebagaman, um, okay. What can I tell you about Lake Nevegaman? <laughs> Andy Cohen of Bravo and Real Housewives franchise fame once went to summer camp there. That's wow. like all I got.
1: <laughs> That's the claim to fame.
2: <laughs> yes, they have a boys camp on the lake. Um, oh, okay. He's he gone there.
1: Okay. So it's, uh, and Wisconsin is close to Chicago. So was that just sort of the natural migration
2: I'm I'm away at the tip top so I'm like right at the border of Duluth oh. Minnesota and Superior Wisconsin so I'm not I'm like what 8-9 hour drive to Chicago oh.
1: oh okay
2: Um I ended up there because my first year of college I went to the University of Minnesota Duluth which is like 45 minutes away from my home and I thought I'll do generals like what well, it's freshman year I'll be close to home that'll be fine And I kept telling myself I would not go into journalism because there's no money in journalism. (laughs) So I was like weirdly enrolled in the business school. But again, that didn't matter. I was taking general courses. And I don't know if I lasted even like a week before I was writing for the school paper. (laughs) And then I was just like, I need to transfer somewhere. This is uh, bananas. And so then, yeah, I just... Like, it's so odd to think. I really don't have a clear memory of how Columbia College landed on my radar. Hmm. And I had only ever been to Chicago once in my life. So oh, really? Too. Yeah. But I was just like, this seems like a great idea. <laughs> and I went to an open house and I thought, oh, yeah, this is a perfect idea. And then I applied and ended up going.
1: So, parents in support of the non money making journalism idea?
2: I guess, yeah. Um, I'm the first one in my family to go to college, so I think it was just kind of like you're getting a degree. Good for you! <laughs> Best <laughs> of luck.
1: And what is it about journalism that, that that has sort of magnetically drawn you to it?
2: I have no idea because I do not enjoy writing. Really? <laughs> oh, I'm convinced that I'm not necessarily good at it, but maybe that's not me judging the end result. It's just like the the process of it. I don't mm. have like a strong comforting process. I, okay. I feel like so, so not that. Um, <laughs> I just had a lot of editing experience. I kind of, it was like, we had the opportunity to join the high school newspaper, like your sophomore year of high school. And I don't know, it was just clear at that point that I was more interested in like the copy editing aspect of it or shaping stories. And so that's kind of the track I took
1: Okay. in high
2: school. And then in college, too, I had I was like an editorial assistant for our alumni magazine and editor in chief for a student magazine. I've just usually been more on that side. So in that respect, I like people. I like, you know, helping people get their stories out and stuff like that like being in a supportive role.
1: (laughs) Okay. Um, are there any sort of journalistic icons that you've sort of found uh, as you making your way through, like when you first started or things that sort of inspired you in terms of, you know, people that were doing either reporting work or editing work or anything like that?
2: I just, I chuckled because there's so, i should like explain how isolated my hometown is a little more something i mean when i say it's small it's small uh i think if you like wikipedia you know the population is a thousand okay. but that's kind of a generous take because i believe that would include like homes on the actual lake that people don't <laughs> live in year round. around my high school was like a collection of eight towns to get enough kids there because this is rural Wisconsin, but, you know, I still graduated with a class of like 84. Wow. So I wasn't like, what was I reading when the internet, like, you know, wasn't what it is today. So I was reading like, you know, local, like local newspapers. And I remember, I really liked this guy (laughs) Jim Heffernan and he just wrote like a slice of life column every week. (laughs) And I think about it now and it's fine. Like I don't, but it's just, that those it was people like that where I was okay. like oh okay not like we you know like these big huge marquee names in journalism it was just
1: did you ever did you ever cross paths with Jim
2: oh I sure did my freshman year of college he was doing a book signing because they had like collected his columns and I still have that book <laughs> and it's so funny to think about how nervous I was to get that book signed <laughs> but yeah he was doing a book signing in Canal Park in Duluth Minnesota and I like like outside the bookstore, being like, "You gotta go in." And then I, I probably said two words to him. Like he would have gladly talked to me, but yeah. I was just like, "Yes, thank you, sir. Goodbye."
1: That's funny. That's so yeah, funny. I
2: still have that too. Cooler near the lake is the name of it. If anybody wants to read it, what
1: was it? Co-
2: Cooler near the lake.
1: Cooler near the lake. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, those columns are interesting. There's a, uh, I do a weekly editorial cartoon for uh, this weekly paper down in half moon Bay, which is like 30 miles South of San Francisco. And uh, there's a guy who's been doing a column there for as long as I've been doing my cartoon who I have met occasionally at various functions the newspaper does. Um, But it's the same thing. He does this slice of life thing. It's all about kind of living in half moon Bay and it's, you know, called neap tide or something. (laughs) It's just like, and it's a mildly humorous column.
2: That's so funny. That's exactly what this was like. And I think, I mean, it, it helps with observation for sure. Just in terms of writing, like learning to observe things around you. Yeah. It's very, you know, it's like scene study and whatnot.
1: What, um, let's kind of jump back into podcasting for a second. Um, in terms of what sort of trends have you seen in terms of what sort of shows are like, back when you first started having a consciousness of, of the medium and where they are now?
2: I mean, they've always seemed so comedy-heavy, but that's something that, like, if someone said, well, statistically, you're wrong, I'd be like, oh, okay, checks <laughs> <Jess> outside. <laughs> like, I don't um, know necessarily, but then I think obviously, you know, there were those obvious waves where, like, serial came out, and so there was a lot more true crime. I've seen a lot more narrative podcasts kind of I don't necessarily like this term that's been thrown around, but sequential quest ones where it's just kind of like here's a mystery of sorts and like we'll we'll work on this. Mm. So I've seen things going that way.
1: Like the sort of in search of Richard Simmons kind of thing.
2: Yeah. Definitely like that or even well, the other one they just did I haven't listened to yet, but it sounds great. Wind of change.
1: Yeah, that's a, uh, that's an interesting, I've, I'm about halfway through that. And I just, uh, because of all the other podcasts we have to listen to for the column, I just kind of keep putting things aside till I have time to listen to them. But uh, it was I'm
2: so excited I'm, to listen to that one. But the same thing, I realized, like, I'm not going to cover this for this week in comedy podcasts. And I don't yeah. have any other ideas for it right now. So I'm kind of holding off to like, enjoy it.
1: Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, comedy wise, it's interesting because, um, you know, I did this pilot for a narrative comedy narrative podcast and um, had almost got it set up at, um, where was it? It was, uh, uh, gosh, I can't remember the company now, one of the places in LA and I met with the CEO and he was all excited. And then, you know, I had a, I have an actual showbiz lawyer, Uh, and she did, They sent a contract through to do, they were going to produce the show. I mean, they were going to develop it. I didn't have to put any money into it or anything once I'd done the pilot. And she calls me up and she goes, this contract's a mess. What Uh, she, I get, can you mark it up? And she goes, yeah, yeah, I'll mark it up and send it back to them. And she sent it to me. And it was just gobbledygook. Just the whole contract was just, it was like all kind of pieced together from other things. And it was like, you're going to get screwed if you sign this thing. And then they never. Contacted her or me ever again. It was just like they got the contract back with all these notes and just chose not to respond. Um, but it was interesting going through the process because um, one of the places I'd taken it to, it was like an ensemble cast. And they said, Well, this isn't working right now. I said, What do you mean? Well, comedically, it's not working in podcasting. You need to have a central character that the, the story is about. And then the ensemble could be around that character. I'm going, kind of okay and i completely did not I, i've done so much work in hollywood it was like this is just somebody else's bs about how they're interpreting what's going on
2: right i was like i don't necessarily agree with that i also find that comedy podcasts i prefer and probably have preferred now for the past couple of years are either like very tightly run like if you're doing the interview thing they're like a tightly run ship or i just prefer like absurd, short, funny things that, yeah, by no means require like a central character to take you through.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's kind of funny because, um, uh, a friend of mine who I've had on the show a lot is Dana Carvey and he's currently trying to get a podcast going, uh, that one of his sons is helping him produce. And I, I helped him get a podcast going like three years ago and that didn't work. And not that, not that he ever tried it, he just we did a pilot that never went anywhere. He just said, Ah, I don't like this one. Um, but it's interesting because he he does a lot of great short form stuff that hopefully the listeners will get a chance to discover that's beyond just his stand-up, which is really interesting. He does these really funny characters and bizarre situations, and he's kind of like a one-man improv group, which is fascinating to watch in process. And it's something I don't really think I've heard out there too much. I mean, you have the people that kind of, you know, can kind of speak extemporaneously, like a Greg Proops or a Bill Burr, and they can talk for an hour. Um, But this is different. This is like going in and out of characters, but doing it really just off the cuff. And it's fascinating. So I'm hoping he eventually gets his formula together.
2: I was like, yeah, that sounds good. I think probably just because of the The format in that specific way, like two comedy podcasts has been around so long that stuff like what you just explained is refreshing. Yeah. It's nice. It's like a change of pace.
1: Yeah. It's like when I started this show, you know, the the bulk of the comedy shows that were out there were some guys in a basement that thought they were really funny.
2: Okay. But like Smodcast is really funny.
1: (laughs) Well, SMOD, yeah, but
2: this, I've this not is... listened in so long. I don't know if that's true, but back when I listened to it, I loved it.
1: Yeah. And which was great. But these were guys that would listen to Smodcast and then want to do their own version of it. And it was, you know, three guys in Indiana in a basement and there'd be like four episodes. And then you never heard from the, the show again. Uh, And that was early podcast. That was like the second wave of podcasting, really, because I mean, Ricky Gervais and some of these other people started them in like 2005 or six. Yeah. And then it dipped and it started coming back around the time I started doing my show, like 2010, 11, 12, that sort of thing. And it's just been gaining strength ever since.
2: It was funny. I don't know if you saw the article. That I wrote for Vulture, because I can't remember when it came out, but that was just like a humorous timeline of kind of, not necessarily even podcasts, but headlines about podcasts.
1: Oh, I did see that. Did. Yeah,
2: and it just, I just remembered it because uh, Ricky was one of the possible pod fathers. It was like every other week or month or whatever for like 10 years, it was like, so-and-so is the pod father.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. I've, I've gotten that title from uh, some, oh, of so s- funny. some of my more faithful, uh, low level podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, I mean, it is fascinating. And I mean, have you ever dabbled with the idea of doing your own podcast?
2: Absolutely not. Oh. Um, <laughs> Like, thanks so much for having me on, but I think this is the third time I've been on a podcast and I'm always, I'm worried, just worried.
1: (laughs) Worried about what? What are you worried about?
2: A lot of like weird stuff goes on being on a podcast when you listen to them so often. Uh, Like I was on my friend's once to talk about movies and that he hosts with his wife. And so I'm so used to listening to it that when they started talking, I just like, I disengaged as a person in the conversation. So I wasn't (laughs) responding unless I was being asked direct questions because I was just like, your brain just gets in that mode of, Oh, I'm listening to this podcast.
1: Oh, that's funny.
2: So I guess being like a a not, not the best guest is what I worry about.
1: (laughs) I do. I have a, a formula and this is mostly for celebrities, but I believe that if a celebrity does between six and nine guest shots on various podcasts, they will then start their own.
2: Oh, that's so funny!
1: Uh, it's just and it's funny now with these these proliferations of networks. The people that will do like Conan O'Brien uh, and uh, Whitney Whitney, uh, Whitney Cummings and things like that, they'll do a couple of those, and then before you know it, especially with the pandemic, everybody's been jumping into it. Um, but even before then it was just like, Hey, this is, this is easy and kind of fun and I can wear my sweatpants.
2: (laughs) See, that makes sense though, because they're performers at heart. So they're like, Oh, this is another like medium I can get into. Yeah. Whereas again, I like, I like hanging out in the background more so I get like ideas for a podcast, but so does everyone else. And in no world would I want to be the one whose (laughs) voice is a part of it.
1: Interesting that's very interesting um, and let's just sort of let as we sort of like uh, come to the the end of our little time here uh it, I'd just be curious to see so there's people that you know we get these emails all the time from people at the at the column who desperately want to be reviewed um, What in those letters do you respond to because we don't get assigned the shows that we do for this week in comedy podcast. I mean sometimes Meg will suggest some things that, you know, came in over the transom or a friend of hers said, "Hey, I've got this show." But we're kind of given complete free rein to review whatever shows we want to do. And we have this weird open email system where anybody can email the column including just, you know, fishermen from around the world trying to get my favorite ones. I'm now I'm getting off on my own tangent here, but the ones that come in that purport, purportedly are from vulture Oh,
2: all the time. And they're always telling us that we've been fired.
1: Either we've been fired or we have a bonus coming.
2: I wish I'd get the bonus ones, even though it's not real. I feel like I'm always getting the ones about my termination.
1: (laughs) So for, for some reason, they have no way to stop these weird viral emails from coming in. But we do get these genuine emails from podcasters all the time. Uh, suggesting uh, the ones, the ones that come in and say, "Hey, I've been listening to this show. that I think you'll find it really funny," and you can tell it's from somebody who's related to the show, right? And then we get just hardcore. Hey, here is my show. Uh, I'm doing it with some friends and blah blah blah. What in those letters, if anything, has ever sort of prompted you to go have a listen?
2: Gosh, this is one of those things where it might be easier to talk about what doesn't. Um, I know let's, you're let's, aware of them feel like how do you even explain this but you know when we get like 10 people that are all they think casually recommending the same podcast like they're really conversational and they're just like hey if you haven't listened to so-and-so give it a shot but it's clearly like an orchestrated
1: yeah because they all up. come they all come in within three days of each other and there's like fifteen.
2: <laughs> of them. that's just wild to me <laughs> i don't know why they think that'll work and i don't know what it is about them that almost ensures the opposite, but just like, stop doing that. That's unnecessary. And then honestly, it's just like I've had friends ask me about this and what they should do because I'm pretty open to listening to any podcast. It doesn't have to be. I mean, I know the the focus here would be comedy podcasts, but it's like just send an email that makes logical sense. Mm-hmm. Like introduce yourself. Tell me the name of the podcast. If this is about a specific episode, name the guests. And then like th- just the briefest summary, truly the briefest summary. Like if you want to copy and paste what you have on, you know, like the Apple thing, yeah. that's fine. And then sometimes I say, I always call it like the brass tacks of it, because if I do decide I'm gonna write about this, it's like just put who the writer is, who the producer is, etc. at the bottom, like credits, so I just know and I don't have to look around like that gets my attention, like a thoughtful email where I'm like, Oh, you've considered what I, the person you want to listen to this might need to know if they do in fact listen and then decide to write about it.
1: Yeah. Um, I like the people that, uh, don't really bother with deadlines and things like that. So they will send in their suggestion for their show on the Wednesday, which is when we're, preparing our reviews to go up on Thursday and they have, hey, I got a great guest on the show this week.
2: <laughs> That's really it, smart. Yes. It, if you're like listening to this and you want to send something in, like Monday's good.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I've I've actually some of the people that I've I I've actually written some of those people back because either I'm familiar with their show or I know somebody who's involved in the production or something. And I'll say, Hey, you know what? This is great, but you've got to keep in mind, you know, you got to send it in by Monday and don't send us something every week, you know, make it special, make it, you've got somebody on the show that's really cool. Like somebody we've heard of, or they've done something interesting. But if you start peppering us every week, we will just completely, nobody will pay attention to your email coming in.
2: Right. I also think it's fine. Yeah, like send that one email and be like, "More good stuff is coming." Feel free to subscribe because I do. I try to just subscribe to them so then I can keep an eye on it. Because yeah, that's like that's a tough turnaround, honestly. Even sometimes if I get those on a Monday, it's just like I don't know if this is happening for me this week. I've already like done my yeah done my searching.
1: Yeah, because um, I'll oftentimes have listened to the episode that I'm going to review by the weekend. Right. And so by then it's like, well, I kind of like the episode that I'm doing. Uh, so I've got to really like your episode if I'm going to bump this one in my, my mind space.
2: Very true. Uh,
1: well, I don't want to hold you. I don't want to keep you. I know you're three hours ahead of me and it's evening there. Uh, but I'm so glad we got a chance to actually talk. And this
2: is really nice.
1: Yeah. And you know, I don't know if you a
2: huge party episode with everyone who writes for the column.
1: I would love to. I mean, I've actually sent a couple of emails to the group because we have this weird sort of group emaily thing that goes on when we're talking about who's doing what episode. And I've suggested that we like get together for some kind of online meeting or something. Nobody's ever paid attention to it.
2: That's so funny, because if I have been doing this for two years, that means did I read that email? And I was just like, boop.
1: Maybe, I mean, you know, we, we get used to the things we're supposed to be paying attention to and other stuff kind of slips through the cracks. Um, But it would be great to, you know, get a, get a meeting of the minds together. Uh, Cause like right now we're, you know, we're all working on the, the year end thing and it's all been handled through email and Google docs and which is fine. I mean, it's the way everybody works today, but it would be kind of cool to actually be able to see each other face to face and have a conversation about what we're interested in covering.
2: Very true. This is where I recommend to you and everybody listening, the podcast bananas.
1: Ah, yes. The
2: podcast brings me so much joy. I can't even say the name without laughing. (laughs) Uh, It's a strange news podcast. It's great.
1: I am going to check it out. You've, you've been a big proponent of it (laughs) and, uh, I will have to check it out. Um, and, uh, People please check out Becca's reviews. They're uh, they're available at vulture.com. She doesn't you do more than just uh uh this week in comedy podcasts. You've written a number of pieces.
2: I have. What do I have coming out of interest? I just did a article that I think, well, yeah, it's December, early December. So it'll come out this month. It was interviews with podcast producers about the hardest episode they've ever had to produce. Oh, very cool. And that was really, really fun. I talked to about 13 people and the stories are varied and all especially interesting.
1: Excellent. Becca, thank you so much for the time.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Nice to meet you and see you and uh let's uh let's keep in contact, shall we? Sounds good. All right, thanks.
2: Bye. See
0: ya. This episode of Suckatash is sponsored in part by TrumpPoetry.com, a chronological ode to a fake muse. Enjoy a rhyming spin on the news of the day every day, as well as over 500 archived daily verses thoroughly covering the White House, America, and the world with a sticky caramel coating that's impossible to remove. That's T-R-U-M Everything you need to know in rhyming couplets. Trump poetry.
1: Well, a big thank you to Becca James for dropping in and favoring us with that chat. You can catch her damn near every week along with me reviewing comedy soundcasts on Vulture.com for the column This Week in Comedy Podcasts. She has a lot of other articles up at Vulture, so check those out. You should also follow her on Twitter at Flames. That's W R E C K A F L A M E S. A play on her name, Becca James, that's at Wreck of Flames, which you should do because she knows how to craft a clever tweet. Another big thank you to you, that's right, you, for stopping by, popping us in your ear holes, and enjoying the show. At least, I hope you enjoyed the show. If that is true, then why not keep those good feelings going all the way over to Apple Podcasts and give us a pile of stars and a tasty little review. Even a couple of lines will do quite nicely. Thank you. All right, I'm going to get out of here with a reminder that Tyson will be back here next week with Epi 234. Then we're off for a few weeks for the holidays until just after New Year's. I will return with Epi 235 on Tuesday, January 16th of 2021. Until then, I want to wish you and yours a wonderful holiday season with a reminder to stay safe, socially distance, wash your hands, and until you get that coronavirus vaccine in you... Stop touching people. And you don't have to touch them to give them the gift of cheer this year, which is to simply pass the succotash.
0: You've been listening to Suckatash Shut In, the Soundcast Stimulus Package, with your host, Mark Hershon. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants, FromPoetry.com, and Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuccotashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on iHeartRadio, on YouTube, on SoundCloud, on the <laughs> laughable app, and tattooed on your mother's rear end. You can hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Email us at marc at Suckatash Or call into the Suckatash Skype line at our toll call number 818-921-7212. Suckatash. You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcast directly to us using our direct upload link at Hightail.com slash U slash Suckatash. Production of Suckatash is overseen by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, the home of the hit. Our hosts are Mark Hershon and Tyson Sainer. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is still Kenny Durgis. And until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please wash your hands and pass the Suckatash. Goodbye.